I came home from work one evening and Renee was washing dishes. I came up to her and was trying to sneak in a kiss. And as I got close to her, I could sense that she was upset. I thought it had something to do with our children, that three children at home, elementary age at that time. And she looked at me and said, you don't love me. That statement, statement hit me like a punch in the gut. I was not prepared for it at all. And I thought to myself, I had just been at work all day trying to provide for this nice home, food on the table, healthcare, transportation, clothing. That seems pretty loving to me. We weren't rich, but we were comfortable financially. Her voice trembled and there were tears in her eyes when she continued, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not. I need a partner. I am all alone in this marriage. Her voice trembled and there were tears in her eyes and I was still completely caught off guard. And she continued, this isn't working. And I could understand the technical meaning of her words. My brain was working. You know, the words she was using, I could understand. But she might as well have been speaking Russian to me because I could not comprehend what she was trying to say. I'll tell you the rest of the story probably next week, next time. You know, sometimes two people can say the same thing but mean something completely different. Maybe you've been part of a conversation like the one I just described with your family or at work or school or with your friends or one of you is upset because they feel disrespected and devalued. You've heard many people say, and maybe you've said it yourself, we can't communicate, or I don't know how to talk to you, or you don't listen. But is it really about the definition of words, about Mars and Venus, about people from the city and people from the country, about patriarchy and feminism? Is it really about young and old bosses and employees, technology adopters and traditionalists? We are in part two of Friends, and in this series, we've been reminded that none of us were created to live life alone. That even though some of us call ourselves loners, I'm one of those people, and antisocial, it could be that we never had a choice or we were rejected. We were just always alone. So we learned how to be by ourselves and how to handle that pain. We even got to enjoy it. That whether the choice of our isolation was our own or someone else, we have been designed for love. It is the deepest need of our souls. None of us can reach our potential as humans unless we open up our lives to one another. We were reminded the things we knew as children that life is better with friends. This series is designed to help you connect better with people, whether it be your spouse, your parents, your kids, your people at work, your boss, your staff, or your neighbor. The quality of our lives depends on the quality of our relationships. So whether you have 80 years left or eight, I want to help you make the most of your life. If you're not a Jesus follower or a church person, I have something to say to you as well. You could even be a Buddhist or an atheist, and it applies to you as well. You see, because if you're human, this is true. Um, 
all relationships experience conflict. All relationships experience conflict. And conflict causes tension. In the workplace, there's tension between managers and employees, staff and customers. At school, there's tension between teachers and students, between uh, you know, coaches and players. In families, there's tension between parents and children, between husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, even extended family. Tension caused by conflict also exists among friends and in romantic relationships. There is nothing wrong or inherently evil about conflict. It's just what happens when you put eight billion people together on one planet, each with the freedom to choose what they want with different needs and wants at different times. And this is important. The way you handle conflict is what determines how healthy your relationships are, how you handle conflict. So when you don't feel valued or cared for, for example, during those moments of tension and conflict, research says it's about 70% of all women, that says that you tend to react to the other person in a way that's disrespectful. So you don't feel valued or cared for, so you respond by being disrespectful. When some of you, research says it's about 80% of men, when you feel disrespected, you tend to react in a way that makes the other person feels like they don't matter, like you could care less about them. So when these things occur, now we have a problem. You treat me like I don't matter, and I treat you without any respect. You treat me without respect, and I treat you like you don't matter. Over and over, this happens, and the cycle gets more intense and more intense until the conflict is no longer about the conflict, it's now about something deeper and something bigger. The more devalued you feel, the more disrespectful you become. And the more disrespected the other person feels, the more inspired they are to say and do things that make you feel devalued. And round and round we go. Both sides are waiting, they're yelling, they're begging for the other to change. Now, does this sound like a situation you're familiar with? This is important. Who wants to continue in any relationship where the other person doesn't really care about you? And who wants to continue in any relationship where the other person doesn't really respect you? None of us does, right? So maybe you've experienced this scenario. You're working for a company that makes you feel like management doesn't care about you as a human being. So you decide to say and do something that feel disrespectful to management, or you're a manager and feel disrespected by your employees. So you're inspired to react with words and actions that tell your employees that they can be easily replaced. I invite you to think about the relationships in your life that didn't end well or that are not where you'd like them to be. How often was this the pattern that caused them? Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago to move humanity out of this pattern that has ruined our relationships and has created so much pain and regret in our lives. He set aside the old way and created a brand new way. He said, a new command I give you, to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now this is, 
this is not new to you. This verse, should, you should be memorized. You should have memorized by now if you've been tracking with us for any length of time. But the problem is, in this statement, the word love doesn't really impact us the way it should. We tend to hear that word in our mind and move on really quickly. And, and that's because you love lots of things. You love pizza. You love music. You love movies. You love John. You love your your shoes, you love your cozy blanket. We love, love lots of things. The good news is that the author of the writings of the New Testament, they amplified and explained what Jesus was talking about when applying the word love to how we live in our real lives. The apostle Paul wrote, love does not dishonor others. To dishonor means to devalue, to not give someone their due, what they deserve. If you're a Jesus follower, what are human beings worth? Notice, I said human beings, not human doings. A person's value does not come from their behavior or what they do, but from who they are as humans. Specifically, your value comes from who you belong to and what someone is willing to pay for you. And if you're a Jesus follower, that's really good news. But it should also be a reminder that the same applies to everyone else, too. If Paul were here instead of me, he would say, this is what love looks like. It doesn't dishonor anyone. Not Democrats, not Republicans, not conservatives, not liberals, not unbelievers, not addicts, not criminals, not people with lifestyles and behaviors you don't agree with. Not anyone, ever. If you're married or want to be, There might be some of you who believe the myth that if you didn't have money problems or exes and personality differences, you would have a great marriage and a great relationship. But the truth is there are people in India with no money, a bunch of kids and in-laws living with them who have very happy and successful relationships. The truth is that there are people who have more money than they can ever spend and have miserable relationships. If you are married or hope to be, past mistakes, lack of money, and your personality is not going to decide and determine whether you have a successful marriage. Those are all real problems, but it's whether or not you can honor and care for each other while you are dealing with those problems that will decide if your relationship relationship will be successful or not. In our culture, you were probably taught you have to earn respect. You know, respect is earned. No one gives you anything. Maybe you heard it from a parent or a coach or a friend. And this teaching sounds like really good homespun advice, doesn't it? But it's important to know that it is a cultural teaching and it doesn't come from Jesus. Maybe unintentionally the other side of the earn respect instruction that was imparted as well, that if someone doesn't earn your respect, you have the permission to treat them disrespectfully. The Apostle Paul wrote, honor one another above yourselves. There were no conditions connected to earning honor, especially um, if you have a military background, this could be difficult and challenging for you to, to deal with. There's no conditions connected to earning honor. So this may be challenging for you if you're thinking about this. You come from a background or maybe you spent a lot of time in sports where a code of honor is expected. Jesus is saying something that's going to bother some of you. 
He's saying that you honor who a person is, even if that person is doing something dishonorable. People are human beings, not human doings. If you are married or hope to be married, you need to know that we have an epidemic of divorce in our culture that's initiated by wives. It's wives who are leaving marriages. When it comes to your sons and grandsons, if they get divorced, it will probably be your sweet daughters-in-law and granddaughters-in-law who will be the ones leaving the marriage, not the other way around. You might hear them say things like, my husband is a narcissist and is an unloving human being. He hasn't earned my respect. Wouldn't it be hypocritical of me to give him something he hasn't earned and something I, ha- I really don't feel? He has to earn that respect, right? He's not superior to me and I know my worth. I'm no doormat. I'm not inferior to him and I'm certainly not going to be controlled or unappreciated. I'm not going to let him do whatever he wants while I walk in the door with pom-poms and tell him how great he is. I'm not going to lose myself and my identity. I will not be dominated by a man while I lose my self-worth and my identity. But hey, other than that, Pastor, I'm open to anything you might share to help my relationship. So a pro tip for wives or wives-to-be, no husband feels affection for a wife who appears to have contempt for who he is as a human being. As a husband, I can tell you that this is absolutely true. The key to inspiring warm feelings of love in your husband towards you is by showing him unconditional honor. You thought I was going to say love, didn't you? And that's because most of you are loving people, wives. You give love to your family, your friends, kids, XOXO, heart emojis. But honor and respect isn't quite as easy. Probably for most of you, you feel respect must be earned by your husbands or husbands-to-be. And that respect and honor come from doing, not from being. But Jesus teaches something different. The Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, described how this kind of love works in a marriage where the husband is behaving in an unloving and dishonorable way. If you are a wife, you must put your husband first. Even if he opposes our message, you will win him over by what you do. No one else will have to say say anything to him because he will see how you honor God. Put your husband first? What does this mean? Some of you may have heard that the Bible teaches that men get to dominate and control their wives and that wives should basically obey and submit to their husbands and that basically husbands get to tell their wives what to do. Do you know any men like this? I do. I know pastors who believe this way. Some churches might teach this, but Jesus does not. Jesus elevated the status of women. Jesus taught that men and women were equals and that marriage is a partnership of equals. The apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends and was there when Jesus gave the new command to love one another as Jesus had loved them, was not telling wives to shut up and take it and obey their husbands. He's saying, love your husbands in the same way that Jesus loved you. Imagine where you would be, he would say, if Jesus had demanded his rights and that he be treated as he deserved before he decided to lift a finger to save you. If Peter were here right now, he might say to you, has Jesus walked out? and broken his commitment to you because he knows his worth 
and he isn't going to take it anymore? Did Jesus treat you like you deserved? What kind of respect and honor did Jesus give to you? Is it based on your performance, your doing, and not your being? Paul wrote that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Jesus was equal to God in worth and value. And he didn't use it in the way that he loved you and loved me, the way he loved the world. See, even though Jesus came to earth, he, his value, and even though he humbled himself and became a human being, the text here says he made himself nothing. Nothing means compared to being God and knowing everything and having unlimited power. Can you imagine what it was like? For the Son of God to become human, to experience pain and fatigue and weakness, the Son of God, the King, made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant by becoming human. But that didn't devalue who he was. He was still the same value, but he didn't use it to his advantage. He chose to serve by not demanding to be, be treated as he deserved. He was obedient. He humbled himself. He lowered himself. He treated himself worse so he could treat others better. That's what servants do. They put others first. He was asked, by the way, not forced by his father, to set aside his demand and to be treated like he deserved. Jesus chose freely to obey and honor his father by honoring you and honoring me, even when we didn't deserve it. This is what respect and honor look like. This is what caring looks like. It's that kind of love, loving people that way, like Jesus. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. What's this? By the way that we love, the brand of love that we demonstrate, this kind of love. It's how you love. It's how you love. I should say, uh, the emphasis on the how that lets people know if you're a Jesus follower or not. It's not how you worship or how you pray or how you post on social media or how, even how you preach to your family, your kids, your neighbors. It's just, and it's not just that you love, it's the way you love because everyone loves, right? We talked about that. Everyone loves something and someone, even if it's just themselves. Loving isn't special, but the way a Jesus follower loves is how you know they belong to Jesus. So maybe what you thought was a marriage problem or a communication problem or a lifestyle or personality problem is really a am I willing to love others like Jesus, love me problem. This is where we separate the real from the fake, the authentic from the pretenders, the talkers from the walkers. Now, if you're saying to yourself right now, whoa, <clears throat> I didn't know it was like that. Yeah, it's like that. Now you're starting to understand what Jesus is saying. Now, I want to be clear about this. If you're in harm's way physically, if you're in physical danger, you need to get out. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about staying in a dangerous relationship. 
it's natural to want the other person to change first, isn't it? But is that how Jesus loves you? Does he love you because you loved him first? We loved him because he went first. He was innocent. He was the offended party. Do you deserve how Jesus treats you? You might be feeling like you're a victim of their bad behavior. Someone else injured you, hurt you. So now you're hopeless. You're a helpless victim. They have all the power. But Jesus says that's not true. You are free from their behavior. He says no one, not even your spouse or that other person, a company, a boss, no one can stop you from loving me and showing me care and honor by how you honor and care for others, especially those who don't deserve it. When you do that, you're acting just like me. And it's not natural to show care and compassion when we feel disrespected. It's not natural to show respect when we are unloved. So a wife who is a Jesus follower married to a man who is behaving in a way that doesn't deserve respect, she would say, I will respect my husband even when he doesn't deserve it because Jesus deserves it. This is an opportunity to demonstrate how much I love Jesus by honoring my husband who doesn't deserve it by the way Jesus honored me when I didn't deserve it. If you're a husband or you want to be someday, you demonstrate your wife during a conflict how much she, she matters to you by telling her and letting her know that you take responsibility that even though you're angry, you're upset, you demonstrate your love to her by making sure that regardless of your difference and your conflict, that the conflict doesn't matter as much as she does. No wife wants to respect a husband who puts his needs before hers. No wife will ever want to respect you if your words and actions make her feel like you don't care about her and she doesn't really matter to you. Whose needs do you put first? Husbands or husbands-to-be? Hers or yours? If you don't know, I dare you to ask her. In a study of 2,000 couples over the course of 20 years to learn why some marriages are successful and some fail, the researchers asked the wives why they think their husbands withdrew from them during a conflict. These were the moments when the wives complained to the husbands and criticized them for the way they behaved. They said, when he shuts down and withdraws from me during a conflict, I think it's because he's being hostile. It's because he doesn't care. He's showing contempt for me. Husbands, you may be willing to die for your wives if you had to, but especially in the moments of conflict, are you helping her know how much she matters to you? Because when you shut down and you pull back during a conflict, it can feel to her like a hostile act. Even if, with, and sometimes it's, it's the opposite. It's wives doing that to husbands. In, con in conflict, this sounds like, I am really upset with you right now, but I want you to know that you matter to me more than anything. And I might need a few minutes to cool down and then we can talk about this. Is that okay? Or I respect you and I believe in you, but what you did here was not what I expected or hoped for. I know you could do better than this. Can we talk about how we can fix this moving forward? How do you think those statements would go down during your conflicts?
So whether you are married or not, at home, at work, school, anywhere and everywhere, Jesus invites you to show honor and care for everyone, always. So to summarize how to put this into practice in your life, here's some pro tips. First, I believe and I will believe the best about the other person's intention. Meaning, you know, how many times a day do you put on your uh, intention detector hat? You know, to the one that lets you know that you're trying to understand and that you pretend to know what the other person really means and what they're really trying to say. Um, we use it with strangers like politicians and celebrities. We use it on those we love the most. We do that a lot. Maybe you say, you know, you're doing this because you're trying to make me mad or um, you just think you're better than me. But do you really have the ability to read minds and know the intentions of a human soul? Sometimes we have a hard time knowing the intentions of our own soul and our own minds, don't we? In the gaps where you don't know everything about someone else's heart and mind, believe the best instead of the worst. It might go like this during a conflict. Even though... I am so angry with this person that I can't see straight. I believe that this other person's intention is not to hurt me. You might even say to your spouse or your boss, I don't believe that you are trying to make me feel like I don't matter. But when you do this, it makes me angry and upset because that's how it comes across to me. Okay, this next one is for people who are married or want to be. I will expect trouble in marriage. This is a very unknown scripture, but Paul wrote that those who marry will face many troubles in this life. This applies to dating too. So what is your expectation of marriage and dating? Where did it come from? Most of us got it from movies, from TV shows and music. Now their version is 99% ecstasy and romantic bliss and 1% trouble. But this is important. I want you to think for a moment how successful are the romantic lives and relationship and marriages of the people who created all of your expectations. The songwriters, the singers, the celebrities, the actors, the screenwriters, the directors, the producers of all of those ideas. The truth is, happily married people know that a successful marriage is probably about 80% wonderful and about 20% trouble, more or less. So if you are dating or married, you will have trouble because you are different than one another. It does not mean that you're out of God's will if you don't agree on what movie to watch or whether you fill your car up with gas at a quarter tank or if you wait until the red light comes on. Spiritual maturity in marriage does not mean you start quoting scriptures to each other. Your spiritual maturity is demonstrated by how you handle that conflict and that difference. Spiritually mature people put the other person first. So next, number three, I will respond to the way Jesus has honored me by giving honor to those I feel don't deserve it. And finally, during a conflict, regardless of how upset I am about what others have done, I will make sure that that other person knows how much they matter to me. You're saying that you will take responsibility for making sure that 
even though there's a difference, and this is not saying that you give in, that the difference doesn't matter, that the conflict isn't real, doesn't mean that at all. You need to work through that. But it's making sure that regardless of what conflict exists, that the other person matters to you more than that conflict. So we're going to stop right there and we'll pick it up next week with part three of Friends.